Hey everyone, welcome back to Speaking to Stacy. Let me do my medical disclaimer to begin with. I have created this podcast and website, including any references, links, or other knowledge resources for informational purposes only. I do not provide any medical or professional advice on the website and podcast. Anything said should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical, professional advice, diagnosis, or medical intervention. If you take any action or inaction as a result of any of the content you consume on the website and podcast, this is based solely on your decision, and I cannot be held liable for any of the consequences of such action or inaction. Right, with that important information out of the way, let me introduce my guest. You're here for another episode of Speaking to Stacy, the show where I get to sit with unique guests who share their amazing perspectives. On this week's show, I have former rugby player Nick Groom. Nick and I predominantly talk about his rugby career. Before that chases anyone away, I want to remind you that the reason why I speak to sports people and people involved in the fitness community is that I believe that what they experience in sports and in fitness is relatable to all of us. You don't need to be a professional sportsman or a fitness professional to take something away from this week's show. I think a perfect example of this is Nick talking about his experience as a young rugby player when he felt like he always had something to prove and he used that mindset to overcome all of the challenges early on in his career. That is something that can apply to anyone in a given situation. When your back is up against the wall, you have to respond. The choices you make and the mindset that you adopt will ultimately impact the outcomes that you achieve. And that's just one of the many insights that I took away from this episode. And I hope that some of Nick's story will resonate with you in your own personal way as well. And without further ado, here's my guest, Nick Grimm. All right, so joining me on the show today is a fellow scrum off, Nick Grimm. And as normal, Nick, I would like you to just give a brief background into yourself, sort of where you where you grew up, where you came from, and also how you got into rugby and those kinds of things, if that's cool with you. Yeah, sure. Um, I born in King Williamstown, which is a little town in the Eastern Cape, and um, moved to Cape Town when I was 10. Uh, so I've been pretty much here for most of my life. And then went to Rondebosch, um, uh, where I finished school in 2008 so similar time to yourself and um yeah i think growing up at school i was i played pretty much every sport um there was really um spent a lot of time in the pool um was quite a good swimmer and water polo player um just very active um obviously played rugby played cricket as well um and uh kind of left school or actually towards the end of school um, was actually considering maybe playing water polo after school. Um, you know, I was looking at um, a bunch of sort of routes like to university that way. Um, and then, it, yeah, someone sort of said to me, you know, why don't you have a crack at going to the Western Province Institute, which was, you know, then I was toying with the idea of a gap year. And, you know, I just thought to myself, well, 
you know, this this would be cool. It would almost be like a healthy gap year for me. It will sort of give me clarity on whether or not this rugby thing has got legs. Um, and at the same time, it will buy me some time to really figure out what it is I want to do. So, um, I won't, yeah, I won't get into school rugby uh, um, too much, especially the Ron Bush bishops for obvious reasons. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I played in the academy week uh, in my final year of school, um, which was a great experience. Um, and that was a, kind of my first taste of like the whole Western Province, that whole world. Um, and then after school, I applied for the institute, and I got a message saying I, I didn't get in. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, cool, oh, well. I'm not going there now anymore. Um, and I, I sort of my back was up immediately. And then a couple of weeks later, I got a message saying actually there's a spot for me now. So that was a weird experience, and I think my initial period at the institute was quite a tough one. Um, um, you know, I was, I think, one of four, five scrum halves and, like, all of them played Craven Week and were essay this and schools and all that. So I was on the back foot and um, I I wouldn't say I was difficult, but I, I, I'm, I was a competitor. So, um, you know, I that year at the Institute was, was an amazing year for many reasons, but it kind of allowed me to kind of really just compete all the time. And um, I think that instilled a, a lot in me that set me up, I think, for what was to come. Um, but at but first, after the Institute, I didn't actually get a contract to go to Western Province. So as far as I was concerned, my rugby was pretty much done. I was going to UCT, I was going to study. Um, and, you know, rugby would very much be a a social or a, you know, very much a university level thing, which I was actually at peace with completely. And then went to go study. So studied um, organizational psychology. Um, and in my first year, I was in the varsity cup setup, which, which is kind of where everything changed for me. And I, I realized for a long time, I had been kind of playing rugby for with the wrong for like for the wrong reasons um i was rugby was very much a sort of um a transactional thing for me where we're playing at uct it was my first experience of like what a real team sort of stands for and having an identity being part of a team and having a, a, a wider sort of powerful reason in terms of why you play in the game which really resonated with me so it was all about team it was all about um close relationships like a real positive attitude towards um being authentic and i didn't have that with rugby the year before so that i think just in many ways i just let go and i actually was just had so much fun and um you know there was no pressure as to the outcome of what this was going to be. And after that, I got sort of recognized, asked to join a squad with the Western Province in the 21s um, and joined that setup. Again, a few guys just got injured in front of me, literally, and I got a spot on the bench in the first game. And it, um, it 
it didn't change like that until the end of the year where we won and I'd signed my first contract. It was at the end of 2010. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's, it's been what, 12 years or well, that was yeah, 11 years of, of professional rugby, like very different now as to what it was in the beginning. Um, you know, I've sort of walked different paths of my career and different stages being a real like junior sort of rookie um, surrounded by these superstars at Western Province and the Stormers, which, which was just incredible and almost unbelievable at the best of times to, you know, kind of giving it a really good crack and progressing and getting, you know, to the highest level and, and being able to go play abroad and, and have that experience and then sort of full circle to coming back and, and, and tapering off and, and finishing up. So, um, yeah, different periods, different lessons, but in terms of a background, I think that pretty much sums it up. Um, okay. Yeah. Awesome, man. So it seems like a pretty typical school experience with sports. Like most South African, especially men that I speak to, you know, play cricket, rugby, uh, squash, and they kind of um, lend their hand at everything. And then I think it's very interesting. I didn't realize, I knew you played polo because I often often watched the polo guys because my sister played um, high-level polo and represented South Africa. So I was often around the pool and I saw you play a few times, I'm sure. Um, but I didn't, have, I didn't know that you were sort of heading off that way before you, before you considered doing the rugby thing. That's very interesting. Um, was that just, just a... a a personal choice did you just prefer playing polo or did you not really see the rugby doors being open i uh i didn't realistically see a future in rugby I'd, i think i'd had a lot more success i think early on at water polo i'd made every sort of representative team and um, i had a lot of success with school and with uh, provincial and um you know I, I i sort of i led our team i play yeah i played for the under 18 team for three years. Um, uh, we, yeah, there was, there was, I think opportunities to go to America um, on, as like a water polo player universities or that sort of uh, combination. Um, okay. So I was looking at that. I think just realistically, it was quite hard to, to see myself in the, in the rugby, you know, progressing as a rugby player. It's funny because I, realistically that was probably right to that was the reality you know there's a lot of guys in front of me and and the and the path to professional rugby for a number of reasons people will tell you is is um not guaranteed um but i always i always sort of thought that i was good enough to do it um okay yeah that's very very interesting yeah i think i mean I just look back at some of the guys that played around about the time I played and some of the guys that I thought would re- would definitely make it didn't. And then some of the people you don't expect, um, obviously circumstances permit. And like you said yourself, you know, you mentioned in that, um, in that, was it under 21 setup that you, you had a few injuries and you got given a chance and you obviously took the opportunity. So those things happen from time to time. It's, it can yeah. happen like that. I think yeah. in the in the 
in the junior setup, and um, I don't think this is anyone's fault. I think it's just just a broken system. Is that I reckon you could ride a wave of just on reputation for about up until 21, 22 years old. That's where the age group levels stopped. And a lot of guys did that, and they were very good players, but they just never had to sort of fight or work for anything. Um, and it took, like someone said to, I don't know who it was, but they're just like, no, by, by under 21 level, people start to sort of either progress or fade away or fizzle out. Um, yeah. And I guess leaving school, um, people just fall into rugby, I think because they're skillful or athletic or the right team. Um, but over the, like after a couple of years, I think if you add in your, your drive and your sort of mindset and work ethic, um, you, the people separate themselves naturally. Um, going back to injuries, did you find that, I mean, I, I've only played at varsity. I only played under twenties and then I stopped because of injury. I got a ACL injury and I just, for me, it was, I just felt as if at the time I was playing under 20 B side and having a hell of a lot of fun, but I couldn't see myself going any further than that. So I just, for me, it was a practical decision. Do I want to potentially continue to get injuries that could be quite serious or just, you know, pack it in. And for me, that, that was the decision I made because of, of injuries. And at high school, I never even, I don't think I even had many serious knocks. Um, just the level of the intensity seemed to ramp up quite quickly after school. So I think that also maybe plays into it a bit. Some guys that are superstar. I mean, I think about a guy like Christian Cullen back in the day, the, the All Black. I mean, once his knee went or his knees went, he was never the same player again. So it does make a big difference if there's injuries involved as well. Mm. Yeah, you're right, man. And I think I, I was just really lucky. Um, you know, there's who's to say that in that period where I didn't get contracted and I was just going to varsity, if I'd have got a serious injury there, it, it could have just been like the end for me. Um, you know, it would have been very sort of acceptable to be like, well, I'll just take some time off or, you know, wouldn't come back as, as dedicated, whatever. So throughout my career, like I've actually been really lucky. Um, I've had the, the, the main injury that sort of I've had to deal with was when I was in, when I was 22, I, um, I, in a tackle sort of, um, tore my meniscus and really chipped my, um, cartilage and damaged my cartilage and had to have quite a serious surgery on that. Um, is that your knee? Yeah, my knee. Uh, and then it, it, it's a funny one because, um, it, I didn't do my ligaments or anything, but having damaged cartilage is, um, is, is something that just lives with you for, mm. you know what I mean? For a while. And it becomes, uh, a discussion in your training, in your preparation, in your recovery on, it's always a factor. Um, you have to sort of change the way you train and that sort of thing. So I went from being, having like brilliant knees and all that stuff to like, I, I, I all of a sudden couldn't jump anymore or well, I could but you know my other advice given to me was like you every time you run you're putting load on your cartilage so try and preserve it at, at any at, as much as you can so you had to make calls on what you did and what you trained and that sort of thing and 
I had a further surgery on it three years later, just um, uh, like a routine sort of meniscus cleanup. But I think throughout my career, it's definitely been a bit of a factor. Um, and I got really good at managing it. And, mm. you know, I, I knew what I needed to do. Um, I had some great uh, help um, from coaches and biokineticists and, and trainers and all that sort of stuff. So initially it was tough because you think that you're going to be fine. But um, And it's, it's funny because you, you, you take steps now so that in a couple of years' time, you, you're still going to be able to play. <laughs> yeah, um, that longevity. Yeah, so that was always a, a, a something that I just had to manage. Okay. Um, and then I broke my hand and uh, one or two other, tore my hamstring, um, one or two other things. But nothing nothing as, I think, um, no, no, nothing as big as, as my knee surgeries, yeah. Okay, okay. And um, your knee now, does it, does it still bother you if you have to go for a run or anything like that or is it all sorted? No, it's actually fine. Um, they can be temperamental at the best of times. What I, what I try and make a serious effort to do is to stay on top of um, like, like just the muscles around the knee. I learned and I, you know, I was educated as to how much they can help your, your joints. So I do a lot of work on, sort of my calves, quads, and my glutes and stuff. And so they all play a sort of a supporting role in looking after your knee. So, 100%. yeah, so often you, like, a lot of pro, like, pro athletes will get scans, for example. You scan my knee, and a surgeon will go, oh, my gosh, what, how is this person walking? Um, and, like, you'll see a lot of if – you, if you scan any, like, front rows, neck, or back – the, the, a normal surgeon would be like stop what you're doing right now we need to you know put you in a wheelchair or something but there's so much transference and 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 people have trained their bodies to like look after those weaknesses um and so that's what i just got to keep on doing otherwise i'm pretty sure i would struggle okay yeah the reason why i ask is i actually had to redo my acl up last year I oh, no. yeah, I was running like strangest thing. So I've had some instability in my knee about five years after I had the initial surgery. I had some instability again, but so I wasn't really playing sport much. So what I did is I just managed it, same as I kind of I think what you were doing. But I didn't really get a lot of help. I had a I had a physio who helped me a couple of times, but he just said, "Look, if you as long as you don't do anything too hectic, you should be able to be fine." So I think. I had injured it playing squash again, like sort of five years later. And then um, after that, I just, I, I barely played sports. So I, I went to the gym and I could squat and I could go for runs as well. So anything in a straight line was okay. As soon as I did like sidestepping or soccer, where you're turning quickly on the spot, that was, that was, or tennis or, or squash, that would cause mm -hmm. quite serious pain. And then last year, <laughs> the funniest thing I was running, I'd left, a teaching material in the class in my staff room and I ran from my classroom to go fetch it and as I as I like jumped off the stairs and tried to like push off my my knee it just it just my knee like basically buckled underneath me oh. and I was like oh that doesn't feel good went to the hospital I think the next day I, I could only get there the next day because the the MRIs was I think closed the day that I hurt it because it was quite late in the day and then the doctor's like, yeah, your knee's been this, been looks like it's been injured for a few years. And 
I said, that is quite possible because I've been sort of managing this injury for the last three or four years. And I think the Koreans are quite conservative with injuries because he was like, what do you mean you've been managing it? And I was like, well, I hurt it playing squash. And it just, I just didn't go and get it sorted out. And so I've actually, as a result of the wear and tear, I damaged my cartilage in my knee. Yeah. Uh, on, but mine's on, I don't think mine's the meniscus. Mine's on the, okay. the, the medial side, on the inside. Still meniscus, yeah. Your meniscus is like, runs uh, over, over the... It's like the surface area on like the the top and bottom of where you need the ah, joint, yeah. Okay, and yeah. now that it's weird. Like the ligament injury seems to be fine. My knee's super stable now, and I'm doing a lot of strengthening to get the muscles back up to speed. But the thing that I, is causes me it's not really pain. It's almost like I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like a numb numbness in the knee when I'm doing a lot of if I'm trying to do some bending of the knee. If I try to do a deep squat, for example, or I try to do a quad stretch, mm. then I feel, and it, it feels as if it's like emanating from the cartilage. So I just hope that over the, over time it will get better. But the doctor said it can take more than a year for that to come right. Yeah. So it's the 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 um the blood like in in that joint is um, so thick, um, so it doesn't like reach. It doesn't have like loads of like oxy. Like the way I understand, it, I could be completely wrong, but. It doesn't have loads of like oxygen going through it, so there's not like the regeneration is is slower than most most areas. Um, um, but yeah, knees are a funny one, man. Like sometimes there would be one day, there was days I could not walk, and then like I'd be able to play the game, and then literally from then I'd, it would be fine for like a stretch of time. Um, I think there's a couple of guys who have actually played with torn ACLs without knowing. Um, so like similar story to you, week before in training, felt like something was weird. And then after the game, like this is not right, scanned it and they like, had torn ACL. Because like there's just so much compensation that can go on. Yeah. And I think I think sports for whatever reason, well, I, know, I guess I know the reason. People, obviously you don't want to miss the game. So I think... W- especially the higher the level goes, the more there is riding on the game. People are willing to sort of be like, oh, you know what, it's probably not that big a deal. I'm just going to play, see what happens. I mean, you know you know Nizam Carr. You must know Nizam. Yeah, yeah. He played, I can't remember which game, in 2008, he played a game with a fractured shin bone because he'd fractured it in training or the game before. We don't actually know. And he just said like it, it felt as if basically he had a dead leg. And uh, it just intensified over the course of the game. And then afterwards, he was like, actually, you know what? It's now, you know, about three times as bad as it was when I started. Maybe I should go get it checked out. And they <laughs> did a scan on his leg and he'd like fractured his shin bone and Jeez. just played through it. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I mean, you hear all these stories, especially, yeah. I think, especially in contact sports where guys are taking hits and they just, it's part of the game. Yeah. And also like the, the treatment is like, well, as a medical guy, or my job is to get these guys ready to play. Um, and often, you know, like that decision is more important than, or is this going to affect me long term? Hundred <laughs> um, percent. So we often used to play funny games. We'd be like, "Well, how much time do you reckon a civilian would get for that injury?" <laughs> As opposed to, <laughs> um, you know, like what 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 we have to come back and play with, but. 
you know, everyone's competitive and they want to play. And, and, and the, the real shame sometimes, the real sad part is like when guys need to play or they need, they need to, they've got an opportunity or, you know, maybe it's contract time and you have to do something and, and you just, you get injured and it's like, oh, that's, it's tough to see because guys just really just want to be out there and their bodies just don't let them. It's, it's, that's part of the game, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. big time. And I guess also something there you said, competitiveness, that's another factor. Like, you know, especially at that level, you know, it's not like, you know, high school where maybe there's a guy that's playing behind you, but you tend, if you're the first team scrummy, you tend, or the first team prop or the first team whatever, you tend to keep your place because you've over five years or maybe even longer from prep school, you've built yourself into that role and, you know, you're you're the number one. Whereas in in a top level setup, if you injured for a sustained period of time and the next oak playing with you is just as good as you, you don't know if you can permanently lose your place. And so I think you're almost like forced to take risks yeah. in that in that kind of environment. Yeah. Your situation can be very different a lot of times and, and it's you know, it's no secret that most people are just really expendable in professional sport. Um, especially in South Africa, there's always someone who can replace you. Because you're not the first person that actually mentioned this, especially in the rugby side of things. Did you? Could you feel that? Could you? Was it very apparent that you were expendable, or was it only sort of as you reflected back on the game after having played? No, you. You. I think you. You. You feel it, man. It's um, some places dealt with the, these potential situations better than others. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can. I can, I can remember games like literally knowing that this is my last chance to kind of, you know, you've been given a crack. It hasn't gone well. It hasn't, you know, maybe hasn't lived up to expectations. The other guys playing well, you know, pressure's on. Um, and vice versa too, you know, you go through stages where you can see a guy that's maybe possibly playing ahead of you and he's just trying everything and it's just not working out for him and you coming on and things are just happening. Um, form is 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 a you're gonna fall out of form at some stage in your career and and a lot of the sort of the the reckoning comes as to who can handle that for some guys it may not be form it might be injury it might be a, a tragedy in the family you're gonna sort of have a stumbling block at some case, at some stage and um oh like yeah it's always it's, it's always how i measure i think other players like it's almost easier when you start out to make an impression, but like the real challenge will come is like once you've had a little setback or a loss of form or an injury, like that's where the real, that's how I sort of measure guys um, is that consistency over time. Can you, can you back it up? Can you come back from, from and, and show a bit of, a bit of something, you know, after a setback? Um, but but yeah, they, I, I, personally, I came back from my surgery in um, 2012. Uh, we had just won the Curry Cup, and then I came. I had my surgery, and then I came back, and I was I hardly train. I hardly was running in the preseason, and um, I I ended up starting the season as, as starting scrum off in 2013. And I remember thinking, oof, you know, 
um, am I a bit undercooked here? And as a result, like we, we, I thought I was, I, I played all right, but the team wasn't really doing well. We struggled a little bit um, results wise. And it was also a struggle for me um, coming, like I was struggling to recover between games and I knew like I hadn't, this is my first campaign as pretty much just starting in the super rugby. And it was like a, this frustrating place to be in. Um, so that's maybe the only time and the other time possibly is like when it's under contract time and you know, you're coming off contract and you know, possibly um, you've been in chats with another club and they want to watch you play. And, and that's an, that's a different type of pressure. But um, you definitely feel it. It's 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 in the moment, and it's not so much a hindsight um, thing. It's it's part of the it's part of the the challenge of professional sport is you get just hand just just um, handling the doubt and um, de- dealing with dealing with that. Yeah. Okay, and that makes sense. I wanted to go back to something you said quite a while back. You you spoke about your experience at UCT, and you said you felt for the first time sort of that you were playing for the right reasons. Um, could you maybe unpack that a little bit? Like in your opinion, what, what were the reasons driving you then? And, and why do you think it was different? And then also, what do you think, what do you think makes that kind of environment so special? I mean, you said you felt part of a bigger picture. I mean, was it, were there coaches or was it, was it something about the team, something about the captain? What made that, that environment different? Um, because I'm, I'm really interested in people who are part of either successful units or units like you described, where um, you just felt part of something special. So, what do you think it is? So, number one, um, what did you, what do you think was special about that team? And then, number two, what made, what made it that way? I think it's. The, when I was at the institute, it was, it was a very personal um, experience. I wanted to, I wanted to get signed. I wanted to get selected. You know, I had all these goals. I wanted to run this, like be this strong, be this fit, get these scores. It was a very, it was like a self-serving um, environment in a lot of ways. And this was supposed to be the springboard, and it was like. And it can be quite lonely sometimes. And in my case, I didn't. I, I, in many cases, I did all those things, but I just didn't get the reward, you know. So that was that's tough. I, I'd saw almost gone like, well, yeah. I mean, uh, it's it just shows like there's just nothing that's guaranteed, you know. And in many ways, I'd put I'd put so much on that, and and a lot of my I, I suppose identity was based on in rugby. Um, and the big shift was when I got to UCT. It was like there was a there was a real determination not to be defined by rugby. Um, like we had coaches and we had a environment that was way more f- obsessed and interested in 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 who you were rather than what you could do. Um, and that was the big change. And what it did was it lifted all this all this like uh, pressure and anxiety around performance that I'd been wearing for the whole year. And it just gave a sense of freedom and um, it gave all of us freedom, which playing at UCT very much the UCT psyche is one of like freedom and like 
it's like a real liberal organized uh, university always has been, you know, it's very much in our roots and they tapped into that. And we had coaches who were way ahead of their time in, in, in realizing the potential of, of, um, of knowing who we were as a team and then, and then getting us to play for something bigger than just a result, which in our case was, was this journey of, of, creating such like strong relationships and and as you know together but also um playing our part in in sort of crafting a, a, a journey of success for the university you know because it was it meant so much more to us than just the results so they got us to buy into that and see the value in it and it's shaped the club really i think ever since then so i've got to I've got it changed my complete uh, perspective about rugby, and and also personally in terms of who I wanted to be as a man, and 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 why I like you know the type of like values it sort of instilled in me. That those those it's never left me, and it's it's um it's uh, unique, um, but um you know it, it changed everything for me. Okay, that's yeah, that sounds like a very powerful experience. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so as I sort of am reading it from the outside of what you're saying there, it's it sounds very much like where at the institute you were kind of you were left to your own devices. You didn't really feel part of a team. You're kind of focused on yourself, and then the UCT environment is more like almost family. Like you know, here's our vision. Here's our goal. Um, we look after you these are our values and you sort of buy into that whole system. Okay. Cause that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Interestingly enough, I mean, did you not experience that at school? Cause our school setup was very much like that in, in high school, but I'm not sure if everyone had the same experience. No, yeah, at school, like, yeah, very, very similar. Um, <clears throat> it was, I think like the school experience was, you just even professional you just don't find anything like it um yeah but uh yeah even even i'd say you know, you're still quite young at school and you and you're still figuring things out and um at the institute you got dumped with like 60 guys from around the country and there's the narrative's quite clear you know we're gonna these are the best players in the country or whoever the best players we can get our hands on we're going to put you through your paces and like the, the best are going to come out on the other side. And that's like, um, You're just a number. It's a bit of a flawed, broken, uh, system yeah. in that, um, a lot of guys, and you look at any sort of recruitment or academy situation, like I, I don't think it's the best way to do it. Mm. People develop at different rates. People, you know, that's a conversation for another day, but, um, it, it, you, it was like a really harsh and and uh, and uh, yeah, like a it rewarded sort of you. It, it required you actually to 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 personally um, wear a lot of the challenges. You know, okay. uh, the, the irony is that the my most the best memories of the institute were like the final part of the year, the, the last couple of months where they would choose the province under 19 side and then the rest of us would form um i think we played like under a, a marty's team um in stellenbosch and we entered the league 
and that and we actually played as a team and that was the best part by far because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um you know it like the pressure was off and and we had such good players you know not everyone could make it at province or to get contracted a lot of those guys i played with in that club team went on to to have amazing careers um so yeah like the school thing i think possibly it was very similar to school i also had that experience at school those guys from school are, and and those memories that we made um it very much was um yeah but i think school is unique also in that you you're with each other every day and you've yes. and you've been that like that for five years <laughs> sometimes more yeah yeah and you in i i think uh i got the sense i mean i've never asked you about it but i get the sense that you have you're quite passionate about your school as i think a lot of um boys are that went to all, all boys schools like you mm. you find an affinity with it you know it's like you're for me, I was border for three years in high school. I joined in grade 10. And after that, even more so, I felt like a part of the school. So it wasn't difficult to buy into like that bigger picture thing that you were describing in the whole UCT experience. And yeah, you've got it. I think it's so interesting because I spoke to a South African, well, he's a, he was a provincial cricketer a few weeks ago. And he also spoke about how important it is to build that kind of environment. And um, he captained that side for a few years. And he said that part of his job as captain was to ensure that that environment is maintained and sustained mm. because that is literally the perfect environment for sportsmen to operate mm. in where, you know, you're giving them that freedom and you, you sort of not putting too much pressure on and destroying like the, the possibility of creativity and all those kinds of things. It's very interesting. Yeah. The parallels always yeah. seem to come up. It's tough to do also. It's very tough to do. Um, and this is also where, I, I, you know, in a, in a professional setup, um, it's extremely cutthroat. And, you know, if you're going to stick to and have a values-based approach to how you deal with success and defeat, you have to be really committed to the cause. If you don't, as soon as you start losing, what, you know, the, the, all the... Well, everything that we've spoken about gets thrown out the window, which is often the biggest mistake a lot of organizations make, um, is that uh, you yeah. can't really fake it. it. It has to govern. It has to govern everything, um, which is the parallels also to like any good business or, organ or you know, sustainable um, business is they would be they would be governed by by uh, uh, something that's a lot more that is a lot more deeper than than the actual than what winning is for example yeah or the bottom line yeah 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 i'd hope to think in business as you said you know with the crossover there that it's not just about the money you you will you'd hope that the companies that sort of have that kind of ethos of value-based approaches would succeed in the long run um, because it's a long, as you said, it's a long-term strategy that mm. when shit hits the fan, for lack of better words, if you abandon it, it, it can be the wrong, it's definitely the wrong decision. I agree with that 100%. And you've got to stick it out long-term because sometimes it doesn't embed itself straight away. Yeah, it's very important. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I wanted to turn a bit more 
towards your professional rugby, you mentioned winning the Curry Cup and mentioned playing for the Stormers. I kind of lost touch of your career once you left South Africa. Can you talk about a little bit of your time in South Africa once you sort of made the Stormers or even talk about that Curry Cup victory and then what happened afterwards? What happened overseas and did you win any other honours as as a part of any of the other teams you played for overseas? And then maybe we can talk also about what you think leads to to teams being successful um, outside of the outside of what the environment that you described, you know, some maybe talking about training or psychology, things like that. Yeah. So started off really as a full-time professional in 2011 would have been um, after my first 21 year in 2010. Um, And then I went on to make my debut um, in 2011 for the Curry Cup. And I actually also, that was, I played my, um, my first Super Rugby game um, at, in 2011. So a lot fairly quite soon. Um, yeah, like I said, it was surreal. Like the, the personnel that I was playing with at that time was just, <laughs> just ridiculous. Um, like, honestly, the team we had, man, it was just, you know, from from the f- number one to 23, it's like, if, you, if I just look at where those guys are now, like I played in the same team, I think my debut, the starting back row was uh, Skullberger, Francois Lowe, and Dwayne Vermeulen. Jeez. I mean, those guys have gone on, on to have like stellar careers. Yeah, um, superstars. All like all over the world. Anyway, those yeah. So um, yeah, kind of w- starting out was there was always these big question marks around my kicking, um, probably because I kicked about four balls in high school. <laughs> And, um, you know, I, I always relied on bits of my other games. So I think the early parts of my career were really just becoming competent in every, you know, I couldn't really have holes in my game because the reality is if they don't trust you to perform that that area that you just won't get picked, you know. Um, did you, which sorry is, to, to interrupt you, Nick, um, before you go on about that, did you find, like I found all the Afrikaans scrum halves had like really good kicking games because obviously the culture of kicking in Afrikaans rugby is so different. Yeah, and you're right. The interesting thing is that like at high school, you like I always we always used to sort of make fun of them for the way that they kicked the ball a lot. But then, yeah, as you progress through the system, you realize oh, the reason why they do it is because that's the, probably the expectation. Mm. Their coaches know that at the at the next level, they're going to be expected to do that for the, for like their province or their country. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was the same as you. I wouldn't spend a lot of time on kicking at all. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I, I guess it depends on who you play for. Like, there's different philosophies around kicking and that sort of thing. Um, so that was always something, I think, from the get-go and what has kind of really shaped my shaped my career at Province at, and the Stormers was I had um, I had something to prove the whole time. Ever since um, not being selected all those junior years, not making it at the Institute, kind of clawing my way back in, I had like a bit of like, I was always going to fight for everything. And now that I'd kind of got here where I wanted to be, I was, it was time to prove everyone wrong. And that was a narrative that I wore with me throughout my career here. And, you know, I was kind of well aware that, you know, there was, there were possibly, um, 
guys who maybe had more ability in, in some areas than me. Like I wasn't scared of that. I, I kind of knew that if we had to, um, if it was going to go down to the wire, like I, I was never going to like roll over first. And that was kind of my attitude, which was great, which was, it was, it motivated me. It drove me and it's, you know, it kind of put down to a large part of my success. And I played over 50 games for the Stormers, over 50 games for Province, won a Vodacom Cup, two Curry Cups, um, went all over the world and got to do it in form of the team, like my childhood team, which was incredible. And then, yeah, I got I got a chance to go over to Northampton. Um, so, yeah, initially I would, it was, I just, I think, got engaged um, and signed like an, another two-year extension um, and then got offered to go. Then I sort of turned it down and then got offered again and thought, you know, should I really be looking at this? And I just kind of spoke to a lot of people um, that I trusted and believed or would, you know, who, who, who believed in me and, and had the best for me and kind of decided that I was going to give it a go. You know, I'd always, always wanted to experience playing rugby abroad. Um, you know, for, for different reasons, I suppose, than most people. I never kind of saw the whole idea of going overseas when I was like at the end of my career. I just, yeah, for me, I've had this chance to, play rugby professionally and like I was going to every every opportunity that came my way I was going to attack you know so I went over there and 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 absolutely loved it um also playing in a really good team um in a real cool rugby town um small community I remember go, I remember being worried about like I'm going from Cape Town to Northampton um it's essentially the Bloemfontein of England but it, it it really exceeded my expectations and um yeah new rugby new style new 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 mates and and all that and i really kind of like thrived off of it and i you know signed a deal there i was um hot, like after my first year i was after offered like an extension a whole year early and um you know, started the second half of the season and the second year of my contract. Um, and then the it was sort of, we started off really well, then things got to, started going really badly. And, you know, we are a very high profile team that wasn't really performing. And before I knew it, like all our coaches were getting sacked and we'd really lost some, um, you know, guys who just wouldn't be there on a Monday kind of thing. And the club went through a, a very serious uh, sort of like changeover it, from top to bottom, really, in terms of personnel and staff and that sort of thing. And my extension that was sort of being negotiated with the previous director sort of got that sort of fizzled out. And what would have would have been like a three week process turned into like a six month process and the new like. And it got to the point where I just said, listen, I, if I don't get an answer now, I, I can't stay here. Um, and at that stage, I was actually wanting to just stop rugby for a bit because it, it really was it was a very tough period. We weren't able to get a result. It just was not going our way. I was still like starting every game. Like it was just weird. And then, you know, I had this thing hanging over my head that I just didn't know what I was going to do or didn't know where I was going to be. 
no one could give me a straight answer. It it just wasn't adding up and it dragged on and it just completely cleaned me. And I I knew that at that stage I wasn't be, gonna be able wasn't going to be able to go to anywhere in the UK. It was too late in the season and it would be a real stretch that I would find another contract there. So my plan was to just have a break. Uh, so this was in April, May, and then come home and then I would join a team in South Africa in November for Super Rugby preseason. That was I was hoping that was going to happen. And like literally on the one, um, on this Wednesday, um, I got a call from the line saying like, listen, would you, you know, they were interested in joining me joining in November. And they said, listen, would you consider coming early as in like (laughs) we need you now um yeah (laughs) and i was like i had like three weeks left uh, on my contract at northampton and i was like well let me see and i think i went to them i said listen i've got this chance they need me now though and i think they if they they were sort of at the point where they i think they realized they hadn't really handled everything particularly well and they kind of gave me their blessing and then i left um, but I said to the Lions, like, listen, I'm only coming if I get a, um, I, I have to have a break, uh, after super, after curry cup. So they, everything got agreed. And I, I had this clause in my contract that I had, um, 10 weeks off after the curry nice. cup, which was unbelievable. Yeah. And I really needed that because I'd gone super rugby stormers straight into a full league with, with, in, um, in the premiership five weeks off back into uh, preseason, played a full premiership, full super rugby, full Jeez. curry cup. So in two years, I played I, I played nearly 80 that's games. Un- that's unreal. That's almost a game a week. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, I mean, that's like, and then there's warm-up games and all that stuff too. And you know, training just, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And before I left, it was, it, was, it was it was hectic, but it was... I probably played like some of my best rugby of my career in in, the, in those times. You know, also I played. I was part of the Springbok uh, squad a couple of times. One in sort of the World Cup prep, and then another time um, I was part of the incoming tour, the the Irish tour that came to South Africa. I was in that thirty man squad. Um, so that was an unbelievable experience. Um, I also played for SAA um, during that camp, which was also cool. Like a lot of guys who are playing in that SAA team went on to you know, play for the Springboks. Like Lukanyo Am, for example, he was in that team. Noche, um, uh, um, who else? There was Courtney uh, Skosan. Uh, um, so that was quite cool. Um, and uh, also representative-wise, I played. It, I was selected to play for the Barbarians as well in that year. So it was quite a jam-packed year. Which is also an unbelievable experience. Um, we played in Samoa at the Olympic Stadium. It was the first rugby game at the Olympic Stadium. So that was also just a mega experience. I couldn't believe it. So quite a jam-packed two years. Um, and I was actually really, uh, I'd really struggled towards the end of that Northampton thing. Because I, I thought I was going to spend the rest of my career there. I was like, this is me, you know. I was settled. I was, I was going well. Yeah, I just had to keep going. And then... So I'm waffling a no, bit, no, but the Lions thing was was cool. That was also really cool. Um, really unique environment and and an organisation that can truly and I can truly say like really stuck to their guns and their values in through thick and thin. You know, I got there at quite a rosy period. 
it was they they had made two uh, Super Rugby finals in a row. Um, this was the third we made it to the final that year, and they got to play with also a new bunch of guys. And I, you know, the, the idea there for me was that the whole European or um, adventure had, had ended too soon, and um, I was always looking to get back over there. And um, there was a I, I, a while a few years before I. Edinburgh had tried to sort of, you know, get me to go there and I just didn't think it was the right time. Um, and then they were sort of really keen to chat again. And yeah, it was, you know, from a, another, it was another chance to explore something new. And they, they, I sort of kept an eye on them and they had a kind of a good run of form. And yeah, a lot of my reasoning for going to Edinburgh was that, you know, I personally like the challenge. Like, you could say that I was a part a part of like some really good teams with some serious superstars. You know, like those Stormers teams, the Lions team, even the Northampton team. And this, you know, was an environment where they didn't have as as many as much firepower. Or if you look at sort of in terms of a a, a squad list, in terms of representativity or representativity. <laughs> Um, so I was like, well, let me try and give this a crack, you know. And, um, yeah, that, that started off really well. We got to semi-final my first year, um, uh, which was the first time in a while, I think, for the club. And we, like, lost at the death. Like, there was a kick that went over. We lost the game. And it was a new uh, – it was just it was just good times. You know, a great place to live. Loved, loved living in Edinburgh. Um, but over time, there, there was some serious differences. I think between myself and the club, like it was, it was quite tough, especially my second year. You know, I, a lot of the time I, I had quite a big leadership responsibility and often would lead the team, and and that, there was just a big value clash between uh, sort of the way I I thought uh, the, the the rugby program should be run versus what. Um, you know the, the the people in charge thought things should go and and unfortunately like the wheels came off towards the end um and we had like a desperately unhappy environment and no one was willing to change it or yeah it just a lot, a lot of stuff fell on deaf ears and that that was also an incredibly difficult time of my career and i eventually got to a stage where i signed a two plus one contract which essentially after two years gives you a chance to decide on your third year at, at, at a specific date and sort of agreed upon that I, I wasn't going to be taking that third year. Um, there's obviously risk involved in both, you know, because you, you need to now find a new club. So I was in that position and um, sort of the director kind of said to me at the time, this was like in COVID, there's also COVID, in the middle of COVID and that had its challenges um, in terms of, the rugby became a bit of a joke like in COVID we're playing in these empty stadiums we, we could hardly train games just cancelled then there was on and then there was shifted and it really became like tough tough going to 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 get yourself up for these games and in my case you know we didn't in, in my in person personally it wasn't really a an engaging place to be for myself and I'd sort of lost um a lot of motivation and it was just tough for, for various reasons. Um, so I decided, you know, the best chance that I would, 
the best chance that I would have in to find a new club would be to try and go on loan somewhere. Um, and eventually sort of that got over the line and I ended up going to London Irish for just, I think like three months, two months. And, and that was also re- really cool. Exactly what I needed. Um, and the idea I was hoping to stay on there, um, but it just didn't work out. And, and, you know, that's, that's no one's fault. That's just also sometimes how the sport goes, you know, they just, it's just different plans for different people. And yeah, I ended up, ended up saying quite early on that I was only going to kind of stay involved with rugby if, if it was in London, um, at that stage towards the end of my career, I was very excited as to what was going to come after rugby. And I'd always had a, um, uh, I'd always had one eye on what was going on there. I think my introduction to rugby was quite different from a lot of people in that I was a full-time student before I played pro. So what I was going to get up to after the game was just as important as my career. So this was a chance now London would really put me in the, in the slot in terms of um, getting a good experience in the city whilst playing. And then okay. I was like, if that's not going to happen, then I'm coming home and I'm, I'll just deal with it then. <laughs> And I've come home and, and yeah, no desire to kind of move anywhere else. So I'm just going to crack on with sort of the next part of life. <laughs> okay. Epic. Yeah. Gee, so that's your career is so interesting because it has like definite high periods where you were winning things, you were part of epic teams. Then you also had some some pretty tough times there where, you know, uh, your time at Edinburgh, the difficult environment, time at Northampton where – the team kind of wasn't meeting expectations and the whole club was rearranged, pulled apart and everything changes like underneath your feet. And I'm guessing as a player, you don't really have much control over that. That's yeah. out of your hands. Um, so that kind of, I just want to talk a little bit about some of, of your mindset things. Cause someone for me, listening to your story there, to me, it appears as if you, on one hand, you, initially were a bit of an outsider to this to the sport in terms of you weren't necessarily the first choice but you always seem to overcome that um so it seems if you love you love a challenge um and you 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 really sort of seem to bring your best out of yourself when you are faced with with challenges like that and then another thing um i wanted to talk to you about you mentioned the word a few times but i didn't we didn't get dig into it is pressure so um, for me personally, the reason why I ask is personally, like I used to love pressure situations. Um, I'm just one of those people that I almost need pressure to succeed without pressure. I feel, I f- find it difficult for me to get up for the, whether it's sports or work or anything like that. I, I like thrive with pressure. Um, I love like those big crunch moments. So could you talk a bit about sort of, do you feel the same in terms of, standing up to challenges is that something that drove you and then could you talk a little bit like of your relationship with pressure how did you was it a good driving force or you know was it something that made you feel a bit uncomfortable because i know obviously different sportsmen are different yeah i think i think a lot of people look at my career and and think like sure like i don't know he did really well or or stunning career kind of thing or whatever um played a bunch of games you know that also won a few trophies but I can honestly say there was nothing in my career that came easy. I think I was up against it like from day one, at least it felt like, you know, I, 
I've got to be careful that I don't play the victim here, but I just often felt that I just had to deal with so much more than most players. Um, just written off so easily, uh, you know, kind of never given the benefit of the, of the doubt. And, you know, I spoke about that time period at Province and, you know, I always, I didn't have this uh, glitter, like, like I didn't have this, like, stardust on my youth rugby career. So there's always that question mark that I had to fight against. Um, and that really motivated me, like, 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 massively in everything I did. And mm. and what was quite tough is that towards the end of my career, where I the opposite happened, where you know they, I, I was given the benefit of the doubt. You know, I, I found that when I went to the UK, um, I had this, you know, I'd come from this amazing team, and I'd had, had all these achievements, and now the shoe was on the other foot. You know what I mean, like. And I, I, I kind of struggled with that because, you know, you, 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 I'm trying to prove people wrong, but now I've, everyone has been proven wrong. So now what? So, yeah, so that, that it's just, it's still to this day, it doesn't really sit too comfortable with me if I get, um, it was the, the narrative about my, my, about performing that I had to sort of change and it was a bit of a process. Um, so from a challenge perspective, yeah, I, I thrived on, on the challenges because I just had this attitude like I, I, d- I don't know, like this like sort of underdog mentality. Um, do you think that... Uh, sorry to interrupt you. Do you think, I mean, where do you think that comes from? Is it something that you was instilled in you as a, as a kid from your parents or is it something that, that came naturally to you? Where do you think that comes from? I don't know. I've thought about it a lot of the time. I think I... I, think I I grew up in in the Dale in the Dale Junior boarding house from like an early age, and I would I, honestly my 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 dad was at the boarding house there, and um, well, both my parents and I grew up as a youngster like always playing sport with kids older than me, and um, I thought maybe was that like a bit of an edge, you know, that just developed in me over time because I, I was always like it was like sink or swim a lot of the time. Um, I think maybe that's one reason. Another reason I think is, you know, coming from the Eastern Cape, um, sort of very, um, what's the word? Like a, a hum, humble, humble salt beginnings, you know, <laughs> salt, to the, salt to the earth, EC for life, you know. Um, but, you know, don't have like those, the, I think the, the, the natural tendency for someone from that part of the world is that, you know, kind of small fish in a big pond. If you like moving to Cape Town, for example, you know that that had its struggles. Um, um, moving to Cape Town, new school, also time to prove something now. Like all these, like all these fancy kids, all this fancy stuff. Like we don't need that, you know. There's you kind of like it's like a back to the wall thing that um, I'm trying to sort of allude to, and and I just wonder if that sort of started me off, and then. I think I think from an athleticism point of view, um, I was I always had this thing like I may not have not have had been the fastest or the this or the that, but I I just competed a, a really I was really competitive and I I just hung in there all the time like I'd never sort of give up. And I remember, yeah. sorry to interrupt you again, but I just like when you're speaking, I remember playing against you in high school. I always got the feeling that you were the type of person who would outwork everyone else. Like, 
and be the last one. I remember there was there was there was a moment in that in, I think in our first game, the ball, I think the ball was like kicked back, and obviously lo and behold, who was there? Like you you you'd run like all the way to the back. I think you'd I'm not sure you remember you like sweeped and picked it up. You like slid onto the ball. Um, so I've got like the the DVD from our yeah. year, so I've I've seen it a few times, and like and like that moment. Like always, stood in my mind because that in my that in my mind personified you when like playing against you. I always thought of you as like that guy who's last to give up. He'll make the last tackle. He'll he'll he's the last oak to drop before everyone else does. Um. So as, as someone playing against you, I got that sense. So I'm not surprised that yeah. that's like that. That's your sort of attitude with with the things that the way that you do. Yeah. Things. I mean, that's that's. I don't know where that came from, but that's that's pretty much what I think my um, point of difference is, you know, and, and I, I realized that and I held on to that. But the trick is with that, that's quite hard to measure. <laughs> so when you yes. go and play yeah, trials, yeah, when you go and play trials or, or you, um, you know, if someone like this idea that someone's watching and selects you, like that just used to piss me off because um, I just used to make me angry, which would make me, compete even harder and and actually a lot of the time is like uh, a lot of what got me to becoming a professional rugby player is that i would have so much like i would have zero time for the for the people in charge or the selectors or whatever and like i'd almost be like this barrier between us and you know i would almost be like a little bit of a handful really um looking back um because i knew they didn't rate me yeah and I was like, well, I almost had this thing like, well, I don't care what you think. And, you know, I would, I would make a, and then I would just sort of th- throw myself around kind of thing. And, and yeah, like, I think throughout the years, like that's sort of what got me in the mix. And then, and then there was a new challenge of trying to up, upskill myself, which was also, which was, which was a great process. And, um, I had great people around me who helped me with that. And then when I added the two together, um that's how I sort of approach challenges all of it I knew I always had the I knew I always had the sort of mentality and the, and the mental side um and now all of a sudden I could rely on my like skill side too okay. and it just breeded confidence in me and I think like you talk about pressure um pressure how did I deal with it I think it changed throughout my career hey like in the beginning um there was no pressure. I was like, yeah. here we go. And nothing to um, lose in the beginning. You know, you have nothing to lose. Yeah. yeah. Like I should, like often I'd say, well, I shouldn't even be here, <laughs> you know? Um, but that, but that obviously I didn't believe that, but that's how I dealt with it. Then some real crunch moments. Like I, I built up really good capacity to really be process driven in my preparation, which prepared me for the pressure on the field. I always fall back on my preparation um learned the like the beauty of process especially like from a kicking uh, you, you, you know you go into a game where you've got to make big plays you've got to be very accurate you know you being off have very big um, um uh, consequences for the team that sort of thing and then once you've reached success and had a taste of like success and and acknowledgement then there's pressure that unlike then there's a whole new different form of pressure. It's like, well, 
this pressure not to mess up and 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 not meet your expectations and uh, look like a fool or or make a mistake. And that's I found that harder to deal with than than actual you know moments in my coming up. So you know, like things, you get to a new club there's an expectation on you, you know, and then if it's not going well, that's pressure, you know, there's pressure on the next thing. And, and then if you add on top of that, like the stages of life you go through, um, uh, which, which I alluded to earlier that everyone's, everyone in professional sport will experience that. Um, that's another pressure in itself. And I, I think towards the end, how I dealt with that is like, I really, um, I would really do a, make a big effort to kind of, zoom out of everything and really actually reconnect with my the young player i was which is that i'm actually i may have had all these achievements and i may have like played x amount of games and captain this team or whatever but i'm actually like just just this kid out of king williamstown and you know there's no pressure on me so it's funny it it changes a lot um (laughs) but there's always been this connection to uh, who I am, which has helped me deal with pressure. Cause I think okay. fundamentally deep down, I believed in myself. Okay. Yeah. It seems like you, you had the mental side down, which is massive. Like, I think if you can get that right, you can go further than someone who's talented, but doesn't have, or more, you're clearly talented, but I mean, someone who's like extremely talented, extremely on the, on the excessive side of talent, but then doesn't, isn't able to keep it together mentally. Those oaks don't mm. seem to make, especially at the professional level, because as you say, it's not just the, it's not just a single sphere of pressure, like at maybe at high school, at university, where there's pressure from performance and it's pressure from all sides. Mm. Um, and it can be overwhelming yeah. for some oaks, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that if you play for, <coughs> if you play 10 seasons of pro rugby, you, um, there's some unavoidable truths that truths that are part of who you are. You know what yeah. I mean. And, and and handling pressure and handling disappointment is definitely one of them. And and yeah. hot, working hard is another one. Um, yeah, I think I mean that resonates with me. Not really, really so much with sport, but with life, I guess as well. Like I mean, if you around for long enough, there's going to be hard times. You like no one just sails through life without some difficulty. I mean, yeah, it's just it's a part of, of being alive and being human. Like you're not, it's not, I mean, maybe there are some rare individuals that float through, but I guess that resonates with everyone. You know, you, you're going to come across hard times. I mean, I've had a fair share, fair share on my side. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think it, and maybe like I always felt with sport that it in a way prepared me for ups and downs, even though I didn't play much after I was 21 years old, it definitely is a great place to learn how to deal with loss, how to deal with um, disappointment, how to deal with pressure, um, mm, and also how to yeah. deal with, with people. Like, you know, you're relying on one another in a team. Obviously, solo sports are different, but if you're playing in a team, you know, you need each other. You need, and you can't get bleak with one another. You can't shout at one another. You've got to be yeah. through thick and thin. You've got to try and steer the ship together. I think it's very important yeah. to learn, as a, especially as a youngster. Massively. Um, even dealing with success, that's another one, um, often often not looked at, but it's just as important. And it's, um, 
yeah, like if anything, it's a very like motivation for to to get more kids to play sports and to keep like sport as part of like what we do growing up because it's not about who wins. Yeah, there is like there is that, but even even now, I look back at my career, I can't tell you the scores of games and stuff like that. But it's it's the other stuff that comes along with that whole journey of this whole thing we call life. That that's what's going to live with you. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. The last thing I maybe want to touch on, then I'll let you go because I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, I always ask the question to my guests um, because I've recently sort of reassessed the way that I look at luck and opportunity. So my opinion is like I don't really know if I if I so much believe in luck anymore, just in its raw form, as in like blind luck, things that just happen to you. Obviously, there are those situations, but I think when it comes to high-performance sports, being successful in sports, there's a definite degree of um, of luck creation. So, for example, you don't make the side if you don't go, go to the trials. So, yes, maybe you go to the trials and then a guy gets injured, so now you get thrown in there and you get the chance to play. That's luck because he's his position is now vacant, but it's not luck necessarily because you've put yourself there to be in the position to get that opportunity so i just wanted to find out from you um do you see your story because i mean as you said as you alluded to in the beginning it's not yours wasn't just a straight line to the top you didn't have the star dust name um, which a lot of guys do from high school so did you see your opportunity as as mostly luck combination of luck and opportunity or do you think uh it was mostly a process of hard work and things kind of popping up opportunities popping up because you kept on sticking your hand up or getting yourself into position to to um to profit off of the situation yeah I, yeah it's a tough one because i don't i would call it timing rather than luck um sometimes the timing is just good um and and sports professional sports is is not as scientific as you think. <laughs> um, human beings are emotional, they're subjective. And sometimes it's just, you just happen to be in the right place at the right time. But like you say, and this is what I always used to sort of remind myself when I wasn't playing and I was just training. Um, I remember like I would, I would try and use, even if I was holding a bag, I would try and use it as, and, and this kind of shaped my story in that like, well, um, I might not have the chance now, but I'm going to work so that when the chance does come, when the right person is there, I've I've already this is my chance to be ready for that moment. So yes and no. It, it would be I think foolish to think that like um you do you do need a bit of a break, you know, in, in some in some areas. And and some guys get that. Some guys get it in different parts of their life. Um, but in my case, for example, if you know the luck I had in which I just it just gave me an opportunity. The way I see it is like, well, that I was able to take that opportunity because of the work and the and the place I'd got myself to um, mm. uh, before that. And then on the other hand, like those guys who all got injured, they all recovered. And then it was a whole new fight again. And it was, 
then it was the sort of challenge to to stay motivated and and stay and like like show like some resilience and and you you know i i don't think luck is um it might get you like one foot in the door but it's definitely not a it's definitely not sustainable strategy sustain oh yeah exactly and it's and it also it is not guaranteed it doesn't guarantee you yeah. anything um yeah so yeah it's it's I, it's kind of what, I've you, been do lucky. With it, what yeah. you do with it as well yeah yeah and, and often when you do get the luck because you do need a bit of it when i when i mean that we do need a foot in the door or a like a timing scenario it's like well are you have you put yourself in a position not through luck through anything but luck to be able to capitalize on that opportunity and i think that's the that's like that's like that's the toughest part because sometimes you've got to do stuff without reward and it's this it's we all face it in all parts of our life like how do i do stuff now for without much without seeing much progress without like instant gratification but you know to to and and in my opinion is that for when the lucky break does come or when you do get a sniff that you are in the best place to to take your opportunity so like yeah i would i'd definitely say that you you don't just take an opportunity because one day it happened it's because you've worked and you've got yourself to position to be able to grasp the opportunity yeah got you 100% okay great man um i was going to wrap up there but i just wanted to you said something there that just made me think of something you talked about instant gratification um that's such an important point because i think we we also live in a world now where everything is just kind of there's that expectation of instant reward, you know, you click this, it opens and it gives you what you want. And if you don't have the ability to delay gratification, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a rough ride because I think so much of life is about, as you said, working now, maybe not really seeing anything for your work and then creating an opportunity or gearing yourself up for an opportunity. And as soon as it presents yourself because of the work you've done, you know, you've, you can step through the door that's open for you. Because yeah, it's like that whole overnight success thing. You know, I don't believe no such thing as an overnight success story. Because the guy's been doing ten thousand hours in the dark while no one else has been watching, mm-hmm. and then when he takes the opportunity, everyone's like, "Oh wow, where did this guy come from?" Yeah. So I think it's a, a lot of that as well. Yeah, and it's uh, like it's a actually, I, I would say that you actually have to consciously try and avoid the temptation to have or just to benefit from instant gratification i actually try and avoid situations what am i trying to say um i i I really am quite intentional about um not letting myself receive instant gratification because i you know it's just everywhere and it's so accessible um you've almost got to consciously kind of yeah it's addictive and and um yeah, it's. Uh, I suppose that's a conversation for another day. But yeah, I, I agree with you, man. Um, nothing good in life just can't just happens. Yeah. You, you, everything. If you haven't worked for it, it's just not going to be as good. <laughs> yeah, easy come, easy go. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a cliche yeah. thing to say, but it, it, I mean those yeah. those old school cliches. I mean, I, I, I sometimes 
get like cold shivers when I when when I hear those kind of cliches because you realize like often my dad would say things like that and then when I was younger I would just like shrug it off and be like okay yeah whatever but then as I've grown older I realized that that old school wisdom actually mm. the reason why it survived is because it's bloody true like all of that stuff <laughs> is is yeah is, is is with us for hundreds if not thousands of years because of the fact yeah. that it applies across the generations like everyone everyone goes yeah. through these things and the answers are always the same traditional wisdom for modern yeah. times yeah 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 I definitely agree yeah. cool nick um i think i'm going to end it there thank you so much would you just stay on a bit i just want to do just want to chat yeah. you quickly offline no thanks for having me sweet no problem a big thank you to all the listeners for tuning in for another week of speaking to Stacy. I hope you gained some unique perspectives from my amazing guest this week. And please share this podcast far and wide. As this platform continues to grow, I can continue to bring on impactful guests who can share their insights with you, the listeners. Other than that, and as always, stay lean.